Hey there, welcome to the Theology Of podcast. I'm Benjamin. And I'm Riker. And we're two college students who love studying scripture and having meaningful biblical conversations. When we think about theology, most of our thoughts probably stay within the four walls of the church. But in doing so, we're really limiting our understanding of God's infinite nature. And so each episode, we'll be tackling an everyday, secular-seeming topic and discussing what the faith has to say about it both conceptually and practically. So thanks so much for joining us. Make sure to buckle up, keep your hands and feet inside the proverbial vehicle at all times, and enjoy the ride. Let's go. All right, here we go. On this episode, we're going to be talking about the theology of games. We really appreciate you joining us on this adventure. I know that Benjamin and I have been growing a lot from these conversations, and we hope that you're able to also um, gain something out of them too. At first, it might seem like games and theology are non sequitur, just completely unrelated. But I think after this episode, you'll agree with us that our faith really does have things to say about the way that we play. So first things first, I think we have to define what games are. Yeah, and that that's a very broad place to pick up uh, because, you know, there's a lot of different games in our lives. There's a lot of different ways that we play games. Uh, you know, there's professional sports games like basketball, uh, baseball, football, anything from A to Z there. And then there's also board games and video games and games that we play outside like Frisbee and and other things like that, as well as playing on a playground. So there's a lot of different ground that we're going to try and cover today, um, defining how theology relates to and, and kind of manifests itself within our games. But um, we're also going to be taking a look at kind of the relationship between games and the church in history, as well as um, we've kind of come up with three key components of what we believe games are and how we can kind of redefine them as we move forward as Christ followers and and see Christ living and working through our games. And finally, we're going to end with just talking about the corruption of games in our daily lives and where we've gone wrong uh, with games in the past, but also the redemption of those games and how we can maybe turn that view towards God and pursuing him fully in our daily lives. So um, this is kind of just our approach and our way of, of looking at games from a, from a different angle and re-examining what God has put into our life and how we can make the most of it. So looking at the relationship between games and the early church, most historians actually look back to the early Olympic games for kind of the start of where that all went wrong. And that, that's where we get into a little hot water is because those early Olympic games in Greco-Roman culture were, were tributes to the gods. And most Olympic games were competed in the nude and they were making these big sacrifices to Zeus and Nike and, you know, people were killing Christians in these big coliseums. And this was just the source of a lot of problems in the church. Um, and rightly so, right? You know, that that's not at all what we think of, of the Olympic Games today. Right. But that's where kind of all of this started is the the rocky relationship between games and competition and professional sports, if you will, and the church 
kind of was off to a pretty bad start. And so that's kind of where we're picking up. Sports and games were mostly for recreation up until probably around the 18th century um, when sports were mostly becoming professional activities and actually were quite seriously competition based. You know, we had the development of the industrial age and everything was being invented around that time. And professional sports were being broadcasted through radio, eventually TV. And, you know, people were really starting to get into these sports. And we see these athletes just as these idols uh, for us. And, you know, they're, they're these super built, like really athletic people that live their lives super, super wealthily and comfortably. And we just, you know, there's a lot of problems that, that we are seeing come from this sort of picture. But hopefully today we're going to kind of dig into, you know, where some of those things have gone wrong with games and sport, um, how we can return to what God has called us to in in playing and and playing games. Hmm. So, what's the difference between these three words that I've kind of been throwing around: play, game, and sport? What's the difference between them? Are they all the same? A quote that I really liked that kind of helped bridge this gap between all of those words. Uh, this is from Robert Ellis. He defines the jump from play to sport as sport gathers up elements of the definition of play and adds to it that it's a bureaucratized embodied contest involving mental and physical exertion and with a significant element of refinable skill. And then also another quote um, from Craig Clifford and Randolph Fiesel. Um, They're the authors of a book called Sport and Character, Reclaiming the Principles of Sportmanship. And I thought this was a super, super, uh, just very creative book and a really great approach towards um, play and, and sport. And they say, sport is a form of play, but is a competitive rule governed activity that human beings freely choose to engage in. So that kind of sets us up, you know, for um, how we're going to define games and how we're going to define sports here and gives us a good lens to look at these for for the rest of this episode. Yeah, I think that's a great place to start. It really is tricky to nail down what exactly games are because we all know what a game is when we see it, but to really boil down a definition that encapsulates all of the different types right. of games out there is a big task. And so I really like the quotes that you had. And I think we can pull from those a couple key tenets to use in our definition of mm -hmm. games. Yeah. So I think the three most important tenets out of what we've said so far that defines what a game is, is that games are one, playful, two, competitive, and three, rule-governed. So let's jump on in. So the first term that we are describing games as uh, is playful. And so how do we how do we view games as playful or uh, how can we maybe redefine games as inherently playful? Right. I think that's such a huge part of what games are. And to really encapsulate this idea, a quote that G.K. Chesterton gave in his book Orthodoxy, I think sums it up really well. Here's what he said. For we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. Hmm. Which, if we stop for a second, that might be a confusing quote yeah. just from hearing it. 
it might sound a little heretical. It's not. (laughs) He's not saying that somehow we, yeah, yeah, we're not older than God temporally Hmm. or maturity wise or anything like that. But I think what he's really trying to get at is the idea that there's this childlike wonder that's part of God's nature that we sometimes grow out of as humans Hmm. because we look at the gospels and we see Jesus telling us to have this childlike faith. But sometimes we get so caught up in the idea of maturing that we leave that behind and neglect that part of God's character. Yeah. And going along with that, like just in our, the natural flow of our society being so work oriented and busy, like we're all so busy and we all need to have things going 24 seven or else, you know, you don't have anything to your name unless you're, you're working 24 seven or something like that. You know, mm-hmm. um, that brings up the good point. Just like how have we neglected to play in our own lives? And, you know, it's very important to mature and it's very important to have spiritual maturity. Um, but where have we, where have we neglected that childlike faith in our own lives? Where have we surpassed the playful areas in our lives for opportunities to, again, get further in our job, get further in our work, be more productive. And uh, yeah. Definitely. Because as we see in Ecclesiastes 3, right, there's a time for everything, which means that there is a time for work. It's not a bad thing to create schedules and have goals, but there's also a time to play. Right. Right. Because God created both sides of the coin. He made food have nourishment and he also made food taste good. Mm. He made beauty and he made function. And so our culture's problem sometimes is we think that every means that we do has to be directed towards some end. Mm. But play breaks that mold because true play is an end in itself you get to spend time enjoying what you're doing without trying to get something tangible out of it and even in our play sometimes we can inject that idea of work into our play by saying that we play to be physically fit or for psychological benefits which Those things are part of it, but we can't just turn play into something that it's not. Sure. And I think our culture sometimes is trying to do that. Yeah. And again, that goes back to what we were talking about with the very results-oriented culture. You know, we're always looking to fill schedules. Everything has to have a purpose. You know, I'm doing this so that I will invest, so I'll be a millionaire by the time I'm 55 or... Um, I want to retire by the time I'm 40, so I'm going to do this because I'm, you can sleep when you're dead. You can, you know, there's all these sayings out there about purpose results driven culture that we've mm-hmm. uh, been growing up in and living in for the last 15 years. But that's where play is different. And that's where play kind of makes a distinction between itself and work oriented and purpose oriented life is because play is simply 
delightful. It's delighting in God's creation, delighting in the stuff around you just because. Mm. And I have a really good quote by Eric Tonis. He is a pastor and a professor at Biola University. He says, play is a fun, imaginative, non-compulsory, non-utilitarian activity filled with creative spontaneity and humor, which gives perspective, diversion, and rest from necessary work of daily life. And so play is for its own purposes. Play is not because you need to get something done by next Saturday. Play is not so that you're going to be rich 30 years down the road. Play is simply delighting for the sake of delighting and giving you rest from all of that other stuff. Hmm. Which, when you really think about it, is closer to God's creation of this world than the idea of work. Because God didn't have to create any of this. He chose to out of the overflow of his heart, Hmm. which is a lot more like play than working to get a result going along with that creation like it's it's very much woven into the fabric of it there was a specific seventh day that was used for rest and delighting in his creation mm-hmm. and he was seeing that everything was very good and resting and admiring what he had just made and that's where i think play lands for us and should land for us is that play is inherently good play is developed so that we will have a relationship with the earth that God put us on and the people that he put us with. And uh, again, not for some end, but it's for simply delighting and resting from all of those other things in daily life. Exactly. This world, it is a battlefield, but it's also a playground. Yeah. And I think it's so important to remember that mm. and not just get so caught up in the details that we forget the playful nature of God and the way that he made this world to be playful. Yeah. Because God is a God of both the purposeful and the purposeless. And play fits into that purposeless category. And we're really neglecting something if we forget the latter because of the former. That's really good, man. Kind of going full circle with another quote, this time from Frederick Nietzsche. He said that he would never believe in God unless it was a God who danced. Wow. And it's so sad because I think Nietzsche's right here. Yeah. But the thing that he's missing is the God of Christianity is a God who dances. And we see that in his nature and the way that he's implanted that into our own nature. Hmm. Yeah. That that's such a beautiful picture too. Like looking back at the garden of Eden and the God, the creator of the universe, literally just walking among his people. Mm -hmm. And Adam and Eve were in the presence of him and delighting in that. And, you know, you can imagine the Garden of Eden is this beautiful, lush garden. Everything else around it is formless and void and, you know, kind of crazy, wild, if you will. But Mm. you got to imagine that they did some sort of playing, some sort of delighting, right? There was no work for your life that there was post-fall, but it's simply, you know, tend to the garden. I had a youth pastor tell me one time that work before the fall was not really work at all. You know, it's kind of just like on Halloween when the kids come back from trick-or-treating 
and they bring in all their candy and they set it on the floor and they dump it out of their bag and it's everywhere and they sort it into shape and color and size and brand and everything and then they right. and throw away all the tootsie rolls <laughs> throw away all the tootsie rolls <laughs> yeah you're pr- you're probably right on that one <laughs> um <laughs> but uh they they lay out all this candy they do all this work you know so-called work right they're they're organizing all their all their findings from the night and then at the end of the night they put it all back in the bag right and it all becomes messed up again. It's disorganized. Mm-hmm. And then the next mm-hmm. morning or next day, they come out and do the same thing again. I know that I did that when I was a kid. Um, yeah. But that's the kind of work that Adam and Eve had in the garden. Is it was you know they were tending to this beautiful garden and all of the things that that God gave to them. And that's kind of where they're called to delight. Is it's delight in this creation that I've called for you to subdue. Um, delight in this creation that I have made to walk among you. And obviously we know that's broken and we don't live in that anymore. Um, but just think about if we are called to make earth once again, like a garden of Eden or to bring heaven to this earth by spreading the gospel, if we are to Edenize the world, if you will, Mm. let's delight in the things around us. Let's play and let's realize that that has inherent good and inherent worth in our lives yeah i love that so first off games are playful next up games are competitive what do you think about that yeah uh i my mind goes immediately to professional or semi-professional sports right you Mm -hmm. know everybody's rooting for their one team everybody's on their opposite sides of the stadium nobody talks to the other team right that's that's not cool but yeah games are inherently competitive but what does that say for us Mm -hmm. you know we're taught that competition is inherently bad sometimes and whereas i understand you know it's not possible to love your neighbor while you're competing against them in some sort of thing right that's that's kind of how many people see it but what does that mean for us if we're trying to find the inherent good in games competition does it have to go does it have to stay right what do you think yeah there certainly is this tension here between the idea of being competitive and also turning the other cheek yeah i think it's fair for us to say that competitiveness is the least important of these three aspects just because of the fact that not all games are inherently competitive or at least not in a traditional sense. Sure. Okay. Right. Yeah. You think of solitaire, not really <laughs> yeah. competitive, not really competitive. That's not what comes <laughs> to your mind. Exactly. And yet I think that doesn't mean we have to completely throw away competitiveness. Right. Because there is still a way to reconcile it with mm. love and a Christ centered life. Right. But to really understand that first, we have to dissect the nature of competitiveness into two parts. The first part is the idea of unity of the people that are on your team. Hmm. How do you love them well? So what do you think? How does our faith and unity, how does that interact with one another? Yeah. You know, my mind again, always goes to the sports picture. Um, I played baseball growing up. I had played on several teams as a kid and 
those were always really, really great experiences because we'd all grow really, really close. We'd be at practices for multiple hours a day. We'd play in games on the weekends or, or sometimes on the weeknights. And we would be there for pretty much everything, you know, in the losses, in the hardships when, you know, somebody got hurt or in the celebrations and the wins, you know, we were there for each other. We saw each other as necessary components of the body of the team, if you will. And I think that gives us a bigger picture of any team that we are on. Um, we're all necessary components of the body of Christ, right? We all mm-hmm. have an inherent purpose on that team. We all have a different set of skills that we're bringing to the table and that being unified in one collective coherent team should be something celebrated. Yeah. So part one is the unity that teams create, but there's also this other side that is kind of where the tension comes from. Right. The opposition, Hmm. you know, us versus them. Yeah. How can we reconcile that with faith? And that's, that's the kicker, right? There's always these healthy, competitive practices, right? You know, the shaking hands after the game or before the game or mm-hmm. picking up the person when they're hurt or, you know. But that's maybe where we also get into some trouble is that doesn't happen quite often and yeah. very genuinely. And I see it also as an opportunity to bring the best out of somebody else. Um, and so that can take a bunch of different forms. You know, if you're really on top of your game in that baseball game, or you're really on top of your game in that soccer game, you are going to make that other person work pretty hard to keep Mm -hmm. up with you. And, Mm -hmm. uh, not only is that bringing out the best in yourself because you're working really hard, you're, you're trying to keep them on their toes, but you're making them work really hard, right? Because you are giving them something to compete with. You're giving them a run for their money. You're making them use the muscles that they just built in the workout room. And so, I see that as as pretty good. I, I see that as a as a positive. Is that you are spurring them on, and and you know it's requiring physical exertion, maybe or maybe mental exertion if you're a really good chess player. But you are bringing the best out of your opposer. You're bringing the best out of your competitor, and I think that's that's cool. It's something that we often overlook is that oh my gosh, these two really good basketball players are going head to head. And they've got a lot of tension because they both know that they're so good and they're probably really full of themselves, but that's beside the point. <laughs> but, um, you know, we see that they're going head to head and and one's going to beat the other and that's going to be the end of the other person's career. And it's like, no, they're bringing the best out of each other. Sure, they're really equal in level, but they are pushing each other to new limits. They are pushing what the other person thought that they could do and what they could accomplish. And so, you know, I think that's a pretty cool thing. I think that's one big positive that we can take out of this whole idea of opposition. Right. Yeah. That also brings up this idea that Paul talks about of outdoing one another in honor of Mm. pushing each other to be better because without sports, we probably wouldn't be able to, achieve as much as we had sure right it's that competition it's that goal setting and continuing to build off of one another that pushes us to be our best Hmm. 
And then lastly, there's this tenet of games being rule governed. When you were a kid, did you read the comics, Calvin and Hobbes? Yes, totally. I loved Calvin and Hobbes. That was my my favorite mm-hmm. comic strip. Yeah. And in Calvin and Hobbes, there's this game that they play called Calvin Ball, which basically the only rule is there is no rules. They just completely make yep. up stuff as they go along. And the thing is, our universe isn't a Calvin Ball universe. Mm-hmm. That's not the way that things are designed because there are rules and structures behind Hmm. how we live. I mean, sometimes rules can, not going to lie, seem like a party pooper. Yeah. But they take away the fun. And yet we have to remember that rules are there for a purpose. Right. If you think about the game of soccer, a way easier way to play that game would be to pick up the ball and just start sprinting to the goal. <laughs> right. Yeah. That'd be way easier. Way easier. And yet you're not allowed to do that. Right. Because of the game itself. It right. adds to what you're doing. Because yeah. by definition, boundaries protect things that are valuable and worth protecting. Hmm. Ravi Zacharias talks about this in his book recapture the wonder and he says the game is played not to protect the rules rather the rules are made to protect the game so with that in mind rules aren't this bad thing that takes away the fun yeah but instead a good thing that creates the fun of the game Hmm. yeah absolutely and that goes for pretty much anything right if you were playing Battleship, the the fun little board game. You know, you guys could sit on the same side of the table and right. just look at where each other's boats were mm-hmm. and sink each other's boats, and that'd be no fun, right? Yeah. So, you know, there are these rules that are set in place, and, and just like life, there are these rules that we have set in place and that God has set in place for us that uh, that are inherently good and kind of guide us and are the rails for us to ride on as we navigate life. All right, so where have we maybe gone wrong with sports and games? What are some things that we, and we've touched on a few of them already, but where are some places that we might have kind of gone off the rails a little bit? Hmm. I kind of have three words, again, that I see where we've kind of deviated from the path that God had originally intended. And, and those three words are immorality, idolatry, and religion. And the last two kind of go together, but immorality, what comes to mind for, for games and sports? Immorality. Well, you've got cheating you've got Hmm. you know enhancement drugs and bad sportsmanship sure i think yeah we can all pretty quickly think of the dark side of sports and the things that don't glorify god right because of what happened with the fall Right. Yeah. Those are all things I was thinking about bringing up is where have we seen professional athletes or 
sports players finding unique ways to cheat. You were talking about the soccer analogy. It'd totally be easier to just pick up the ball. And and that goes into, you know, our whole talk about rules and, and being for good. But the, mm-hmm. that is natural of the human mind and body to try and rebel against that. We see that from the fall, obviously the spirit of rebellion, if you will, uh, of Adam and Eve still Mm -hmm. lives within us. Mm -hmm. And just naturally, inherently, we want to revolve our games and our playing of games around winning. We've become very win-centered. And if you lose, you lose followers, you lose fans, you lose points if you're in like video games and stuff like that. So, you know, we've, we've kind of centered our view around winning and, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but when it becomes to the point that we are doing anything that we can to win Mm. and we are doing immoral things to avoid losing, I think we've got a problem there. Right. It's this pride that's seeped into the way that we play because no longer are we holding up the game itself or other people as the greatest good the thing that is at the core but instead we've put ourselves there right and no matter what whatever it takes i want to win yeah but just like all other parts of the fall we're trying to replace god's role with ourselves, which yeah. isn't going to work. Right. Yeah. And again, that kind of ties right into the next word that I was talking about, which was idolatry. And people look back at the Old Testament and the I- examples of idolatry in the Old Testament, and they see, oh, you know, they were worshiping a golden calf, and I totally would never do that. And it's funny because, you know, and I'm not trying to attack any sports fans or any basketball fans or anything like that. But <laughs> but let's kind of take a look in modern terms of a golden calf. And mm, let's maybe mm-hmm. say the NBA Finals trophy, which is a golden trophy, you know. And yeah. Everybody's yeah. competing for it at the beginning of the year, and they go to the temple, which is the Staples Center. And, you know, they're surrounded by a giant congregation of brothers and sisters, which are the fans of their team. Hmm. You know, they're they're gathering around the leadership of the coach who might be like the high priest of Old Testament times. And, you know, they're following his lead. And, you know, all these other images come to mind of of games like this. And, you know, the same is said for pretty much any sport. And again, like not attacking any sort of sports fans or anything like that. You know, like Mm -hmm. we both love going to sports games. We both love watching professional sports. It's totally okay. But we're just trying to basically reshape our view of it. But um, idolatry, it plagues us in ways that we don't realize. And if we're so focused on sports or anything for that matter, that it's taking us away from our time in the word and our time with our other Christian brothers and sisters and our time spreading the gospel, it's time for, for us to reconsider what role that has in our lives, how we can maybe reshape it so that it's not taking over our lives as much. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for that. The way that you word that really just helps me to really understand the way that we do still have idolatry. It's not this yeah. 
old thing that's gone away over time, mm. but there is still that danger, which isn't to say that it's always idolatry when we participate in and watch sports, right. but that is something we have to keep in mind mm. as we do so. Yeah. I believe that there are things that you should be really passionate about. And I believe that there are things that we all are really passionate about. And that's a beautiful thing. God has created those things for good. But when they are replacing his spot and when they are taking over our lives in that form, we start to see a little bit of idolatry trickle in. And that's kind of where the third word comes into play is that's just religion, is that people Hmm. have found their only identity in the sports team that they follow. Mm Mm-hmm. That can mean a ton of different things. It can mean buying all of the team's merch and wearing it everywhere and despising other teams because they're not your team or you have a team rivalry with them. When it gets to the point where you're finding your identity in this team or in a specific player more than you're finding your identity in Christ and that he is the one in the center of your life, unfortunately, like you're you're starting to to make that sport that team your religion and you're you're that's just again a place to to be wary which i think is especially relevant for us right now because as we record this it's 2020 we've had this crazy year um sports are canceled Canceled, all of this (laughs) and i think a lot of people are realizing just how deep in their hearts sports are yeah and just how much they're drawing their identity from it right man i'm missing baseball season you know i'm missing Mm -hmm. getting to play out in the park with my friends i'm missing all these things and didn't realize how much i relied upon them for comfort for solace and again there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that but we're just wanting our first place of comfort to be in the Lord. Right. That's a pretty bleak picture, but thankfully that's not where the conversation has to end. Yeah. Right. Because through Christ, we can now have this redeemed understanding of games. Absolutely. So what does that look like to you? I think it's I think it's a wonderful picture. As a as a big sports fan, it's uh, always beautiful to see these awesome acts of sportsmanship and teamwork, not only just within the teams themselves, but also cross team. And I think seeing sports and games as the redeemed thing and, and what God originally intended them to be involves a lot of that those beautiful moments and seeing teams work together for one mm-hmm. goal mm-hmm. building each other up spurring each other on and seeing everybody as a brother and sister in Christ and i think that's a i think that's a wonderful picture of of what's to come in the renewal of of the heavens and the earth and and what we are to see in the end times if you will and uh because it's going to be this beautiful picture of everybody getting along, everybody looking forward to accomplishing one goal, and that is bringing praise and, and honor to the one who created us all. Yeah, and to quote the Audio Adrenaline song, there's going to be a big, big yard where we can all play football. <laughs> 
Dude, I so, forgot about that song. It's such that, a, oh my god. We have that to look forward to. Yes. Amen to that. So maybe let's let's kind of close this episode with our own experience with games and sports and uh, how we can maybe examine our own roles in those and uh, and reshape them from here on out. So what, uh, what experiences do you have uh, with games and sports? Hmm, that's a really good question. I think probably my two favorite games have to be Smash Up and Ultimate Frisbee. First up, Smash Up. If you haven't heard about that game before, yeah, I haven't. It's basically a card game where you have all of these different teams like dinosaurs and Canadian Mounties and grandmas. And the style of each deck fits with the theme. And so you take two of those and you shuffle the decks together and you try to use that to take over bases and win points. And the thing that I really love about that game is just the creativity in it, both of the way that the game itself is designed and being able to enjoy that, but then also enjoying the creativity that I get to add to the game by coming up with strategies and synergies. And that just brings so much enjoyment to me. Hmm. So I think... That's that's what I really love about that game. And then the second, Ultimate Frisbee, is kind of different in the fact that what I love about that game is the way that it is an opportunity for me to enjoy the physical gifts that the Lord has given me yeah. and to be able to run with the legs that he knit on me and catch with the fingers that are from him. And so, Mm. yeah, not only can games bring up this physical enjoyment of God's creation, but also this mental one as well. Yeah. That's a really good, really good thought because I'm trying to think of games or, or sports that I've played and, um, how maybe to, to think about them moving forward. Yeah. I think for me, um, obviously I've said before, baseball grew up playing baseball, love watching baseball. Um, I think it's just a wonderful team sport. Uh, it's a very unified team sport and you can be all in the dugout, um, cheering each other on while they're at bat, or you can be out in the field working together as a team to, uh, to kind of defend from the other team getting runs. And so, you know, it's a, just a beautiful picture of of teamwork and unity like we were talking about earlier. And uh, I think that's a great picture. Again, like you were saying, you know, kind of flexing some of those physical uh, gifts that the Lord has given to us and uh, but also enjoying the teamwork and the, the community built around you. The second game... I guess I'm thinking about code names mm-hmm. and hmm, that's a hard one. Uh, 
Codenames, I think, is just a very mentally challenging game for anybody who hasn't played Codenames. Um, I'll do a quick explainer. Yeah. First off, you need to go play it. Fantastic game. Love that game. Basically, there is two clue givers and two teams associated with those clue givers. And uh, there's a assortment of words laid out on the board. And the clue givers are trying to get their team to guess a certain amount of those words that are for their team's points. And so they give one word clues so that they can do some word association and guess those words. And there's words to avoid and other teams' words and stuff like that. But um, basically, you know, it's a really, it's a mind-bending game, if you will, if you really want to win quickly or if you want to challenge the other team. You know, it's a great opportunity to to uh, use your brain, to use the mm. the networking that that the Lord has given you, and and use the experiences that you might have had with your team before playing that game to kind of reference during the game. And you know, you have to kind of all be on the same wavelength. And so I think that's you know, like well, if I was Jimmy, how would I be thinking right now if he he tried mm-hmm. to reference these two words together or something like that you know like it's just this cool getting in your head um and it makes you think it makes you mull over how your team might receive this word and how you might be able to to give it best so that they might be able to get the most words out of it so again just a wonderful picture of unity um but in more of a smaller more intimate sense and it uh gives us a good picture of of what unity and and teamwork is really like right that's awesome and hopefully next time we play these games we'll be able to think more about how our faith interacts with them um, and use them as means of worship instead of idolatry or just being neutral and one last thing before we go benjamin if i wanted to look more into this topic um, are there any resources that you would suggest to me? Yeah, absolutely. That book that I suggested earlier, um, Sport and Character, Reclaiming the Principles of Sportsmanship by Clifford and Fiesel, that was a great place to start for me. Um, just reading some of the quotes from that book and getting grounded in that idea of where we've gone wrong with sportsmanship and how we can reclaim it. The other resource that I would highly recommend is actually an article on the gospelcoalition.org, and it was called More Than a Game, A Theology of Sport. It was by Jeremy R. Treat, and uh, it was a fantastic read. I will link that in the show notes for everybody. You should go read that. We got a lot of our information from that website and that article, so definitely go check that one out. Uh, But Hmm. what about you? Yeah, there was this book that I was looking at called Dodgeball Theology by Blair Spindle, and it did a really good job of not only talking about the theology of games, but also incorporating personal experience Hmm. um, because the author has a really interesting testimony. Okay. So yeah, that's definitely a good resource to check out. And once again, all this will be in the show notes. So uh, feel free to check them out if you want more info on this topic. Sweet. So... What are you waiting for? Go play a game. Have some fun. Yeah. Go play a game. Have some fun. That's our benediction for you. Yeah. Amen to that, man. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We really appreciate your support as we kind of get off the ground here. And we would appreciate any feedback or suggestions that you might have for this podcast, as well as any topics that you'd like to hear us talk about in the future. Our music is created and produced by our good friend, Luke Hall. Feel free to check him out on SoundCloud and Spotify. And we're really thankful for him and how he's supporting our podcast. Other than that, we want to thank you again for tuning in. Riker and I have been really enjoying having these conversations. And uh, we'll see you in the next one. Bye.